Now, we have, well, to say a special guest isn't quite right, um, because Victor Hashway and, and his wife Maha have been part of Kensington Temple from the early 70s. Uh, Victor is what we call um, an elder at large, and he has been ministering uh, for many, many years in the Arabic world and in Muslim-majority nations, and it's so wonderful for him to come and share with us today. He's great friends with our senior minister, Colin, and his wife, Amanda. He had a meal with Colin just a few days ago, and so we're excited to hear what's been happening. We're excited to have him with us to minister to us. Let's welcome our own Victor Hashway. So good to be back here at Kensington Temple after so many years. We started worshiping at this church in 1978. How many were here at that time? Let me see hand. Nobody? Are we the only two people here? Um, it was actually 38 years ago that we first accepted Christ, and the amazing part is that Jesus accepted us too. That's also a miracle. And uh, Jesus changed our lives, transformed us completely, transformed our marriage. We were on the verge of divorce at that time. And not only did he change our lives, not only did he transform our marriage, but from that broken marriage, um, God had used us to uh, start a ministry to build dysfunctional marriages, we do that on location, um, on the ground. We do that on television. We do that on radio. We've been ministering like this throughout the Arabic-speaking world. And uh, we've ministered to hundreds and hundreds of couples throughout the Arabic-speaking world. And we cannot thank the Lord enough that God had, took, had taken a broken marriage. Not only did he... Um, you know, birth us from above, and uh, God had used us to bring to life so many marriages. He is still in the business of bringing life from death. And uh, we have uh, two children. My daughter is, uh, our daughter is 46, and uh, our son is uh, 43. We have uh, four grandchildren, and they are really grand in more ways than one. And uh, they are really lovely, and uh, we live somewhere in the Arab world, and uh, we are uh, being supported by this church as missionaries for the last 21 years. We lived in the UK for about 20 years, and uh, when the Lord said, it's time to move, then we moved. And we discovered that God is also out there, not only in the UK, He's also out there. So this morning, I want to share with us something of what God is doing in the Arab world, but also I'll take us first through the Word of God, and I'll read for us from John chapter 4 about what are some of the challenges that um, we face and what is the response from the Word of God to that. So John chapter 4, I'll read a verse Verse 13, we remember the encounter that Jesus had with a Samaritan woman. I read verse 13. Jesus answered, 
everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. When this woman of checkered past decided to tell the whole village what God, what Jesus has done in her life, the result was amazing, is the whole village turned to Jesus. And in verse 39, we see what happened. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in Jesus because of the woman's ministry testimony. He, he told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed two days, and because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this man really is the savior of the world. Just one man, one woman, one person believed, and the result, the whole town accepted Jesus. This is really amazing in more ways than one. Jesus was always interested in the one person, in the one individual. And you never know what happens when you lead one person to Christ. You know, Jesus, before he ascended to heaven, he told the disciples in Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and to the end of the earth. You will receive power. He asked them, please stay in Jerusalem until you're clothed with power from above. Jesus knew his disciples only too well. He walked with them. He taught them. He was with them for about a thousand, one thousand days, three and a half years almost. He knew them very well. And he said, I cannot send these kind of people into the world and to tell the greatest story to the whole world without being clothed with power from above. And they need to move from one city to the other and reach out to the world. So he told them, stay in Jerusalem, then you're clothed from, from power from above, and then you move out from Jerusalem in all Judea and to the end of the earth. Immediately after this, Jesus ascended to heaven. Now we know that the last words of a person who is departing earth are important. If he's on his deathbed, he's saying, you know, I'm leaving you, and these are the last words. The last words are always the most important. They carry weight with them, because these are the words of a departing man. In this case, Jesus was not dying. He was ascending into heaven. And so it was good for the disciples to pay attention to every single word that Jesus was saying. He mentioned words like Jerusalem. He mentioned words like Judea. He mentioned words like Samaria. He mentioned words like the uttermost part of the world. But it appears to me that they, were, they stopped hearing words after Jerusalem. 
they may have had a problem with their hearing, or what I call selective hearing, because anything after the word Jerusalem is not worth listening to, okay? Now, let me give you an example from my own life. I had a problem one day with my, with my hearing. I developed some, some infection, and uh, with, after some treatment with antibiotics for three, four days, um, I was able to hear. When I had the infection, I was, sometimes I was able to hear, sometimes I wasn't. So when the infection was gone, I was able to hear perfectly. Then my wife spoke to me and asked me to do particular things, which I didn't like. So I told her, I'm not sure I heard you well. <laughs> she said, no, you heard me well. <laughs> you, you, you know that I spoke well, and you heard me well. And the fact, the fact was that, yes, I did hear her well, but I had selective hearing. When I wanted to hear her, I said, yeah, you know, and, and so on. So the disciples may have had some kind of infection in their ears. They didn't want to hear anything after the word Jerusalem. How do I know that? Look at what they did. Because when Jesus said, stay in Jerusalem, be clothed with power from above, and we know what happened in Acts chapter 2. They were clothed with power from above, and the church was born, where the church was birthed gloriously from above, and we know what happened. That was in chapter 2. Now, in chapter 3, there was healing, a marvelous healing in Jerusalem, healing of the crippled man. In chapter 4, we have a supernatural prayer meeting where in Jerusalem. Great things were happening in Jerusalem. And because great things are happening in the city, who wants to bother and leave the city? The city is enjoying a great revival. Why move out? Now let's see what happened in chapter 5. In chapter 5, there was lying and connivance happening. Um, you know who? Do you remember the names of those guys in chapter 5? Anybody could remind me? Huh? Okay, some of you doesn't. Okay, so you, you know, spirit-filled church lying about not telling, telling half-truth, Ananias and Sapphira? Well, how about chapter 6? This was all happening in Jerusalem. How about chapter 6? How about racial discrimination between the Hebraic Jews and the Hellenic Jews? Racial discrimination in a spirit-filled church? How is that possible? Well, this was all happening in Jerusalem. Well, we move on to chapter 7, and I'll stop there after that. God didn't like what was happening. They were living in Jerusalem in partial obedience of the commandment of Jesus. Then something happened. Somebody was martyred for Christ. His name is Stephen or Stephanos. After that, the church was never the same. After persecution, the church can never be the same. After trials, after troubles, after problems, the church can never be the same because then things must happen. Now, after this, in Acts chapter 8, the Bible says in 8.1, after this, there was a great persecution and the disciples left Jerusalem, and where did they go by any chance? Do you, can you remind me? They went where? To Samaria. 
Samaria. The place they hated most. They didn't want to go to Samaria. They had, they had their own reasons not to go to Samaria. And let me tell you why. Do you know that the Jews, if they wanted to go from somewhere to somewhere else, normally, if they want to go from the south to the north, normally they have to go through Samaria. This, geographically, they have to go through Samaria. They would not go through Samaria because they hated the Jews. They hated the, the Samaritans. They didn't want to. You know, the word Samaritan was something like a curse word. At one time, they told Jesus, we know who you are. You are a Samaritan and you are demon possessed. What did Jesus say? He didn't say, I'm not a Samaritan. He said, I'm not demon possessed. Because if he said, I am not a Samaritan, he would have denigrated the Samaritans. He said, I am not demon possessed. Oh, how I love Jesus for that. He always associated himself with people because Jesus' world was a people's world. He never put people down because he came for you and for me. He never put us down. Because Jesus did the first revival in the New Testament. Where was it done? In a Jewish town? Remind me, where was the first revival that happened? You remember? In Samaria. I just read the passage. The whole town turned to Jesus in Samaria, not in a Jewish town. But why did the disciples didn't want to go to Samaria? Okay? Who are the Samaritans? The Samaritans are, according to the Jews, are of mixed race. At some, some time, if you go back and Google the Samaritans in the Bible, you'll be surprised. They were Jews in part, and they were pagans in part. Because at some point when Israel was invaded by people from the Assyrians, they came from Babylonia and so on, they had mixed marriages, so they were, not, they were no longer the pure race. They were mixed race, okay? So for the Jews, they were impure. We are the pure people, the Jews said. We will not mix with impure bunch like the Samaritans. Thank you very much. And that's it. So we will not mix with them. That was one reason they didn't want to. At some point, John and his, and his brother James, they liked the Samaritans so much that they said, Lord, shall we ask for fire from heaven to come down and burn the whole lot? They loved them so much. They want to burn the whole lot. Said, shall, we, shall we ask for fire and burn the whole lot? We don't want them to be part of us on planet Earth. What did Jesus say? You don't know what kind of spirit you are from. Because the Son of Man did not come to destroy people, but to save them. And sometimes we feel that way. Then I, you know, I wish, get rid of the whole lot. Get rid of them. These are no good. They should not live. But Jesus came for people. For people. They are made in God's image. And each and every one of them can come to Christ, each and every one of them. Say amen if you believe that. Amen. Hallelujah. Thank God for KTRs. Now, what else about the Samaritans that the Jewish disciples did not like? They have an unholy book. 
their book was unholy because they did not have the whole truth that the, their book, the Torah, they had. They had mixed book, some of the truth and some lies. Okay? I'm speaking to a, an adult audience. I think you will slowly understand what I'm trying to say. A book that contains part truth and part lies. They didn't like them. We believe the truth, the whole truth and nothing the truth. Those people believe in a counterfeit book. What else? They have an unholy temple. Their temple is unlike our temple, like the one that we have in Jerusalem. Their, their temple is there in, the, in, the, in their town in Samaria. It's unlike us. Therefore, it is unholy. What else? What about their priests? Their priests are unorthodox. They are unordained. We will not associate with such people. They are unholy for all kinds of reasons. And we cannot worship. We cannot be mingled with such people. And we cannot denigrate ourselves to such low place to be associating ourselves with them. Okay? Now, Jesus, the all-knowing Jesus, knew that, didn't he? Did he or didn't he? And he went to them, introducing himself as the savior of the world. Now the Samaritan woman wanted to turn the conversation into something religious. Oh, you believe this, but we believe that. Follow that, follow that in, in John chapter 4. You believe this, we believe that. You believe this, and we believe that, tit for tat. Don't go into this argument with people who don't believe the same that you do. Don't go into this. Jesus came for the human soul, to change the human soul, and he still changes the human soul. So that was the hanger they put their objections to, but they had their own, their own difficulties. What are some of the difficulties they had for not going out to reach them? One is they liked Jerusalem. You see, Jerusalem is the place where they were witnessing the miracles. In Acts chapter 2, many miracles were taking place. Hallelujah. In Jerusalem, how about 3,000 people being saved in a single day? Why should I go to those people in Samaria? Maybe one will come to Christ. We don't know. Oh, Jerusalem is a good place for me. I will stay where miracles take place. I will stay in place like Kensington Temple. You know, you know, I, I will play in a place where miracles happen. I wouldn't want to go out. But you know, out of this, where miracles were taking place in Samaria, as people go out, out of this, God called, came to a man called Philip. Philip, I want you to go out into the wilderness. Wilderness? Lord, do you see what I'm experiencing here? Miracles are taking place in Samaria. You sent me out from Jerusalem where the miracles are taking place, and now miracles are taking place in, 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 in Samaria, and now you want me to go out into the wilderness? Yes. For who? For one? One person only? A eunuch? And going on his way out near Gaza in the wilderness? 
Okay. And he goes out. And one man comes to Christ. And all Africa follows him. All Africans say hallelujah in a loud voice. <laughs> hallelujah. Glory. The obedience of one man. One man. The Ethiopian eunuch. One man obeyed. One man obeyed. And what follows Ethiopia and Africa after that? The first, the first country in all of Africa came to Christ because of the obedience of one man. You see, they like to stay where they are. But God said, yeah, I know, but move out. They had another objection. We are Jews. We can't associate with other uh, groups. We like, we like our affinity groups. We like, you know, we have the same habits. We have the same customs. We eat the same food. We have the same, we have the same, the same customs. I mean, we, we, don't, we don't know about their customs. I mean, we hear strange things about those Samaritans. We, we hear some, some strange, uh, strange ways about the way they ate their food. Sometimes some unclean things. We, we, we don't want to do that. We are the clean people. We don't want to do that. What else? Ah, they don't speak our language. We want to speak Hebrew, the language of God, because God speaks one language and it is Hebrew. Some other people think that God speaks another language, starting with the letter A, but that's another story. <laughs> I thank God today that God speaks all languages on earth. <laughs> Hallelujah! So they had all these objections and they stayed put in Jerusalem. They did not go out. Jesus commanded them to go out. They did not listen. What made them go out? Persecution. Thank God for persecution when God allows it to happen. When it is God ordained. Well, when the disciples, the two disciples said to Jesus, Jesus, we want to send fire. We want, shall we ask um, for fire to come down on them? Actually, Jesus answered that prayer. How did he? You know what happened when the revival broke in Jerusalem, in, in, in Samaria, in Acts chapter 8, and many miracles were taking place? The disciples, the apostles in Jerusalem, sent uh, Peter and John to pray for those who have come to Christ and receive the Holy Spirit. And as they laid hands on them, they received the fire of the Holy Spirit. So the fire finally came on the Samaritans, but not the kind of fire that they had in mind. It's a different kind of fire, a fire that brings life not the fire that brings destruction. So be careful about what kind of fire you pray for the people. Pray for the fire of the Holy Spirit, not any other, other fire. Now, in the year 622, a political, military, come spiritual leader in Arabia started a new religion. 
He brought his own book. He had his own temple. And he had his own set of priests. While the Samaritans may long have gone, probably a few hundreds left in Israel today, the followers of this leader are in their hundreds of millions. Today, Jesus is coming to them. He's not asking, what book do you believe? What set of priests do you follow? And what about your temple? He's coming to them at night in visions and dreams. He's performing supernatural miracles. He's not asking them what they believe first. He's coming to them. He's coming to them because he loves them. Because he knows the need of the human soul. I met with the, a prominent person, a very senior leader. And I didn't know how to begin talking with him. He was not from the Christian faith. I asked him, sir, do you ever feel hungry, thirsty, and sleepy? And he said, yes. I said, so do I. I said, we share the same physical needs. He said, yes. I said, do you ever feel sad, mad, or glad? He said, yes. I said, so do I. We have the same emotional needs, sir. I said, let me ask you one last question. Would you love to hear God speaking to you and say, I want to forgive all your sins. How do you feel about that? He said, I wish God would do that. I said, let me tell you how God forgave all my sins. And for about 40 minutes, I was sharing with him the greatest story ever told about God coming down in the person of Christ dying for me on the cross, taking all my sins upon him on the cross and give me forgiveness. And for me, say, Jesus, I'm a sinner. Forgive me. Would you accept me? Would you cleanse me? Take my old heart away and give me a new heart. And he forgave my sins. I looked at his eyes with tears. He said, he said your experience is true. It was no longer, you believe in this, I believe in that. It was two human beings sharing the same physical needs, the same emotional needs, and having the same spiritual needs. And Jesus provide, provided the deepest needs of the human soul, forgiveness. It was no longer a Christian talking to somebody who is non-Christian. It was two people talking to each other, having the same needs. God is still doing the same. We had two, two ladies from Yemen came to our home. And they were sharing how they both come to Christ. You know, Yemen is a country which is ravaged by, by, by war, 25 million people. I remember while I was here one time in London, uh, 
a taxi driver from Yemen. I said, uh, do you have a solution to the Yemeni problem? He said, oh, yes. I said, please tell me. He said, just let me be the president of Yemen for 48 hours, and I will solve the problem. I said, what will you do? He said, I will never leave a head in place. I will chop every head off. I said, 25 million? He said, yeah. I said, you will remove from the planet Earth all the Yemeni race? He said, yes, because they are no good and so on. I said, you see, I said, that's your problem. I said, that's the problem. I said, you want to cut all the heads off? I said, we go 30 centimeters down and we chop the heart off. I said, that's what the Bible said. The days are coming when we take all the old heart off and plant a new heart. We believe in heart transplant. We leave the head where it is and we change the heart. Back to the two ladies and said, how did you come to Christ? He said, we have heard enough. We have heard enough. And now we have come to Christ. So we, don't, we didn't need to convince them about their old faith. We just need to introduce them to Jesus Christ. Also two weeks ago, I met with three Yemenis. He said, we want to become Christians. I said, why? What is, what is in, in, in Christianity that you like? He said, well, we want to change religion. I said, I'm sorry. There, there's, Jesus did not come to change people's religion. He said, he said, what about the Bible? I said, you look through the whole of the New Testament, you will not find one verse that says, I have come to introduce the Christianity to the world. I said, doesn't exist that verse. Because Jesus did not come to change religion. He said, what did he come for? I said, look at Luke 4.18. 4, he said, the spirit of the Lord. I said, this is his, his first inaugural speech. As every president would come, uh, start his uh, presidency or becoming the new king, he would say, his inaugural speech would put it like this. For the spirit of the Lord has come upon me. I have come for to preach the good news for the poor, to set the, the captives free, to open the eyes of the blind. I said, are your eyes blind? He can open them. Do you need to, be, to receive freedom? Yes. Do you want to receive forgiveness? That's what Jesus has come for. He said, that's what I need. I said, then you don't need to, uh, to receive Christianity. You need Jesus. And that's a different thing, I said. I said, that's what we need. Okay, let's pray. And he received Jesus. And that was it. Three of them. Hallelujah. That was it. This uh, last week, uh, my wife and I were holding a, a conference in Germany. Glorious time. We had about seven, 75 people, all of them from the non-Christian faith. All of them, without exception. I looked at them and I, I discovered that some of them come from Iran. Some come from, uh, some are Kurds, some are Syrians, some are Iraqis. And then my mind went back to Acts chapter 2. And I said, uh, how, many, how many of you come from Elam? Elam, the, the biblical name of Iran. I said, stand up. And then I said, how many of you come from, uh, from, uh, from Kurdistan, which is the biblical name of the Medes, M-E-D-E-S? And some stood up. I said, how many of you come from Mesopotamia or the land of Iraq today? 
Well, some stood up. I said, how many Arabs are here? The rest stood up. I said, I just want you to know that, uh, you know, about 2,000 years ago, your great, 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 great ancestors had witnessed the birth of the church when the Holy Spirit of God fell on the church and the church was born. Would you like the same to happen to you? And they said, oh, yes. And you know, it happened to them. And the Holy Spirit came. And they were baptized in the Holy Spirit. Amen. Hallelujah. Amen. God is still doing it. He's, he's, not, he's not looking at the outside and saying, okay, do they believe in this doctrine? Do they believe in that doctrine? Do they, believe? they were ready. They were ready. They had come to Christ, but they don't know anything about the Holy Spirit. They had come to Christ. And you know, when, when I said, but Jesus is in this place, one, one of them fell from the chair. The other started to shake uncontrollably. Two, two men in their 40s started to sob uncontrollably because Jesus was in this place. See, the point is, when Jesus walked into Samaria, Samaria was never the, the same. When the Holy Spirit walked into Samaria of 8-1, of Acts 8-1, Samaria was never the place. And when Jesus walks in the life of anybody, regardless of nationality, regardless of religion, regardless of who he is, he, he or she will never be the same. Jesus is in the business of changing people, transforming societies, and transforming nations. We need to move out with the Holy Spirit. If somebody is asking me today, what is your strategy for the Arab countries where you're going? I said, simple. I see where the river of God is flowing, and I flow with the river. So simple. Because the river of God is flowing. God has an axe to grind. Because he has died for every single person in the Arab world. And we want to flow where he has flown. And, you know, God has done so wonderful things. The Bible says in Matthew 24, 16, and the gospel of this kingdom shall be preached throughout the world as a testimony to all nations, and the end will come. It's a testimony to all nations. People are asking for hope. People are praying, oh God, how do I know that my sins are forgiven? You know, after every, every time they go for the pilgrimage, you know, every year, twice a year, you, they ask them on television, did God grant you the wish that you wanted? They always say, I wish God would forgive us our sins. And yet we know that our sins can be forgiven through Jesus. The moment we come to him and say, Lord, we have sinned against you. Lord, forgive us our sins. Please, we come to you. Forgive us. You died for us. We repent of our sins. Forgive us our sins. And Jesus said, I have extended our forgiveness to you. Receive the forgiveness. And he had forgiven us. Now we have, we have the greatest story ever told. People wanted to hear that. And Jesus is in the business of doing it. So many stories that I can tell you about what God has been doing in the world today. But the, the, the thing for you to think about, are you willing to overcome these obstacles in your own personal life by moving out from your own Jerusalem, by moving out from your own affinity group, by moving out from your own language group if God is calling you, by not looking at other people as impure 
as the disciples did look at them. By not looking at them through the eyes of, oh, they don't have the same holy book like others. Who are the Samaritans in your life? Those people whom you look at as impure, unholy, and the untouchable. These are the ones that Jesus died for. And the story in the Bible of Jesus moving into Samaria is a story for us to remember. They were the people who were hated most, loved least, and avoided most. And yet it was in this town that Jesus did the greatest miracle, the whole revival in the town. And it was when the Holy Spirit came down upon the disciples and they moved to Samaria in Acts chapter, one, in Acts chapter 8 that they saw miracles happening. In Acts 1.8, the, the disciples were promised the Holy Spirit. In Acts 8.1, things were happening in Samaria. I believe that many of us are between Acts 1.8 and Acts 8.1. Where are you today? Where are you today? Are you enjoying the miracles that God is doing? Wonderful. Great. But there are people out there who need to hear the greatest story ever told. And when the change has happened in your life, it will happen in their life. Let me conclude with this. The most painful statement I ever heard when I, whenever I travel and tell the story about Jesus was this. Why didn't anybody tell us about this before? Why didn't anybody tell us about this before? But thank God, I remember one time I was in Algeria and I came to I speak in a, in a particular place where they had about 450 people, my wife and I would go there. And when I came in, a man just came and hugged me. I thought he must have broken a couple of bones at least. Yeah, and he hugged me so much and he said, I can't thank you enough. My life has changed completely. I'm transformed because last time you preached and I came to Jesus. And you know, I can't thank God enough because I just simply shared the message to, to, to this man in the, in the meeting, and he, and he responded. Many have responded. And you know, there are many people waiting out there, outside your affinity group, outside your language group, outside your ge geographical location. You can be anointed by the power of the Holy Spirit. Move out to your Samaritans, whoever they might be, and see the world come to a change. Let's pray. Let's just take a few moments before the Lord right now. The Lord may have been speaking to you before this morning, maybe in the last few weeks, about moving out. Moving out from your Jerusalem, moving out from your affinity group, moving out from your language group to people that might only be described as your Samaritans and your reluctant. This morning, receive the word of the Lord for you. Go. When Jesus said go, you need permission to stay. Go. And I am with you, Jesus said. Heaven is available to you. The Holy Spirit will come upon you in power that you have never even experienced before.
And he will anoint you. He will empower you. He will give you grace and favor in the eyes of the people to whom you will go. But he wants you to respond. And he will give you ability to do things that you never thought is possible. All it takes, say, Lord, here am I. Send me. If you heard the Lord's call on your life and you want to respond, I invite you right now to stand on your feet and say, Lord, here am I. Send me. You know exactly what that means to you. You know exactly what it is. For Jesus, it meant leaving the glory of heaven, coming to planet earth, knowing exactly what it means. Knowing exactly the cost that he had to pay. And he did it for you. Will you do it for others? Respond in faith and say, Lord, here am I. Use me.